and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Um, one of the things we've talked about on the show often is the construction world, because I was in it for so long in my life and how it really saved me as a young man, but it also provided a great living for me until I fell into this industry and how much I still respect and love that industry. We are, we are, there is a massive shortage of people to work in that industry. And joining us to talk about how big the problem is and the solutions possibly to the problem, Jennifer Meller from the uh, Greater Phoenix Chamber. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk about, let's start with the shortage, first of all. How critical is it for labor uh, labor force and how short is that labor force in Arizona? And is it in the housing, commercial, industrial, or is it all three? Yes, I would say it is across the board, Mike. Um, we estimate that there are about 270,000 uh, craft professionals that are needed between now and uh, December of 2024. So when you look at that issue, uh, one of the things I've been a big proponent of, especially in the last few years, the more I learn about the CTEDs, um, the, you know, the career technical education districts, EVIT and Westmec, um, that are that are churning out very qualified, capable people at younger ages. But it does take time to build that workforce. What else can be done besides training these younger people to you know attract those workers? Yeah, well, Mike, I think we have a, there's a lot of people out in the workforce that have um, high quality skills that um, are very translatable into construction careers. And um, because the demand is so great, many of our companies are willing to to bring people on at a very entry level and and train them up um, internally as well. Yes, one of the things I learned quickly, I started at 18, I was very young, but A, I was being paid more than the average, certainly more than the minimum wage, having no skill set. And as I showed some aptitude, but I also showed some desire, I was taught very well and a lot of times sent through schooling by my bosses because I showed the aptitude and I showed the desire and that's all they were looking for. Yes, companies are looking for people that will show up on time every day, that can really be a part of a team, um, that want to learn and are willing to to dig in and, and tackle some of those problems. Now, I'm hearing some of the data that, you know, years ago when we had the labor force that was matching the need, it was taking about six months to build a home. And now I'm hearing average time is taking about taking years and a lot of that's red tape. But do you have any data on how, you know, how this lag time is being caused by the labor force or lack of it? Yes. Um, so we know that um, the lack of construction jobs is, is delaying projects all over um, the valley. And you look at just the massive amount of construction that's taking place. Um, look at, at TSMC in the North Valley. That's consuming 10,000 construction jobs. Um, we we are continuing to announce every day new new projects coming into the market, and it's just making it more and more competitive when it comes to our construction workforce. I'm looking at some of the data that we received from the Associate, uh, Associated General Contractors of America survey. 91% are having trouble filling positions, 89% trouble filling pipe-laying positions, but they also are having 77% with estimator positions. Those aren't people that are working in the field. These are people that are estimating and managing projects. Exactly. And um, those are really great paying jobs as well. We're talking seventy dollars to $80,000 for an estimator um, that you can make here, here in Arizona. And again, to your earlier point, 
companies will train you on how to go about estimating jobs. And um, we've got some great stories on our website um, at buildyourfutureaz.com. And you can actually see um, a, a pathway to an estimator role and how, how those individuals are, are working in today's workforce. We've had some people on in, in months past from Build Your Future Arizona. I think it is such a great concept. Can you explain a little bit of the concept and how you're helping people transition into this industry? Yes. Yeah, so Build Your Future Arizona is really about changing the perception of the construction trades. And we launched this initiative about four years ago at a time where um, construction jobs were really frowned upon. Um, and through the campaign, we've really been able to change that perception, um, really highlighting, um, one, the, the high wage um, opportunities in construction, but Companies have really changed their culture over the last 10, 20 years. Um, You're seeing really competitive wages. Companies are offering benefits. Um, but they're even looking internally at their culture. And, you know, 20 years ago, when you went on to a construction job, it was follow me around and, and I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to be my, my grunt worker, right? Um, we Companies recognize today that that doesn't work for our, our new people entering those fields and they want to be hands-on day one. And so they're really trying to instill that in their culture. It's funny you say that because I worked for someone that gave me a line that I've used the rest of my life. He used to tell everybody that I was a strong back and a weak mind. And that was kind of the, you know, kind of the entry level hazing you went through. And you're right, the culture change. But also in that culture change, even early on in my career, I learned in the field and also in the office side of estimating. I learned from women that came through the trades, but it was a rare thing 20, 25 years ago. It's nice to see that that's changing. And is that something you're working on as well as attracting women into these trades? Absolutely. And we know that young people, they see, they see themselves how they see others. And so through the, the Build Your Future Arizona campaign, we're really trying to highlight uh, women in construction and talk about that career path and, and that journey and what that looks like um, so that other young women can start to see themselves um, in the industry as well. That's what's interesting about it is uh, the sentiment was never necessarily when I would talk to women about being in construction wasn't that they didn't think they could do the work or didn't want to do the work. They wondered if they'd be welcome. And and I think the one the women that I worked with found out that not only were they welcomed, they were admired. And many of them I worked for. I worked for a woman named Michaela for years. She taught me so much in the field about being an electrician, and she was very well respected on the job sites. Absolutely. I think women bring, obviously, a a different perspective, and companies realize um, that it really does take a diverse workforce to to meet the needs of our community, Um, whether that's through um, ethnicity or gender or age. um, It really does take a a diverse workforce to um, have a strong culture. Well, Jennifer, if people want to learn more about Build Your Future Arizona, if there's someone out there that's got a family member, even they themselves are looking maybe for a new career path, how can they find you and how can they get connected? Yes, you can go to BYFAZ.com, and there's lots of great information on the website um, from career pathways and what type of education you might want to pursue and how to go about that um, to connections directly to jobs. Um, There's lots of videos and things out there. Um, You can check us out on social media as well and just see um, all of the great opportunities that are available in construction. So it's BYFAZ as in buildyourfutureaz.com, correct? 
Correct. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope you, the organization will come back on if it's you or anybody that wants to come on to talk about this. I think it's so important for our future. But for someone that never thought they'd have a career and I ended up as a business owner, I love directing people in this career path because it really does change people's lives. I completely agree. And talking with our, our steering committee that kind of helped direct the campaign, almost everyone on that steering committee started out as a, you know, an entry, an, an entry level role in construction. And many of them now own the companies um, that they're leading. So it's, it's a really great um, entrepreneurial path as well. Well, thanks for coming on today. And if there's ever anything I can do to help the organization again, please let us know. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. That is Jennifer Meller. She is with Build Your Future Arizona. It's a great pathway. A couple of hundred thousand jobs available. More than 200,000 jobs are available that need to be filled. It's a great career path, job security, good money, um, well-respected. I hope people look into it. In a moment, we are going to talk about schools. We have been talking to leadership in the Arizona State Legislature that believe that we are going to see the AEL will be overridden once again. But one group in the legislature says maybe not. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, yesterday, there was a subcommittee hearing in the House, and the superintendent of public instruction, Tom Horn, attended. It was about education and the uh, overriding of the AEL, or the Aggregate Expenditure Limit. Now, this was a limit that put on how much money could be spent on education in Arizona, and it was based it, – it, it adjusts for inflation. It was to make sure that we were limiting and we were careful of how we spend. Now, whether or not it's relevant today remains to uh, up for opinion, but that was the intent in 1980. I'm not going to go down the line. I'm not a big fan of our propositional form of government. It would take, I believe, I believe, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, because it was a ballot initiative, to have it completely eliminated would have to be another ballot initiative. Someone's got to get signatures, put it on the ballot, then it's got to be voted on by the people of Arizona to override it permanently. Um, And that may happen. But in the meantime, it takes a two-thirds majority of the House and the Senate to override this. We have about uh, – the numbers I've been hearing are around $1.2 billion, billion <clears throat> with a B, that are already allocated for education in Arizona this school year. Meaning <clears throat> if this limit is not overridden and we hit that limit, there's a, over a billion dollars that is in the bank for education that cannot be spent on education. So the superintendent um, testified urging that the AEL um, be uh, eliminated or be, I'm sorry, overridden this year. We had uh, Senator Sonny Borellian saying we've always funded education. We always get it done. I spoke with Ben Toma, who is the Speaker of the House. He said the same thing. I spoke with the Senate president, and he talked a little bit about accountability, but I, I, and he, I got the impression that they're working in that direction. Well, there was a press release yesterday um, that came out yesterday from the Arizona Freedom Caucus. And it is a group of people that I I admire. Um, they're fiscally very conservative. And I want you to hear this. It says Arizona Freedom Caucus opposes overriding the aggregate expenditure limit without systemic reforms to benefit students and teachers. Now, I'm not going to be read through the whole thing um, that they are saying that as, an, as a group, as a caucus, they are not going to vote to this. And you need a two-thirds majority. So you're going to need 
these votes. They said they're not going to do this unless it is accompanied by systemic reforms that benefit students, families, teachers. The Arizona Freedom Caucus stands unanimously opposed to any attempt to override the voter-approved AEL. Fiscal responsibility is a foundational tenet of good governance, and the legislature has a fiduciary duty to our constituents to ensure that their tax dollars are spent as efficiently and responsibly as possible. Unfortunately, despite years of record high education funding from legislative Republicans, government-run school districts continue to increase class size, strip teachers of critically needed classroom resources, and force-feed a far-left worldview on children. So the uh, Freedom Caucus chairman, uh, Jake Hoffman, is quoted as saying, Arizona children deserve the highest quality education America has to offer. Sadly, they're receiving far from it at the hands of government-run school districts. At a time when the Republican-controlled legislature is appropriate historically high education funding, test scores continue to plummet. In the latest publicly available data, only 28% of Arizona 8th graders are proficient in reading, and only 32% of 11th graders were able to pass the state math assessment. Adding insult to injury, these catastrophic failures of government school districts are disproportionately hurting known low-income minority and middle-class Arizonans. So, I had said I thought this was going to be a part of what happens, and which is there are going to be people that are saying we are not going to sign on and do what we've been doing, that we want to see reform. Now, I'm not against reform. I don't I think in the end, the override will happen. And the reason why I say that this is just my opinion is because I think that it's political suicide not to it will be damaging to the same kids. And in the end, you can't. But I do think there is room for negotiation here. What I mean by that is the autonomy of school districts. And I would say parents have a right to ask the school districts a lot of questions. There should be a lot more. They should be more forthright and transparent with what they're doing. Curriculum online, things that parents can see that's being taught. But also the parents that are asking the questions because we continue to hear about Arizona being the lowest funding school uh, state. And one of them in the you know, we're always in the bottom three for funding. And I would say this, uh, not, and I'm not arguing that point. Just like anybody else, when your budget is small, your priorities remain the biggest thing. You can always – that's the one thing about having money is it allows you to make mistakes. And where you know my mother couldn't make mistakes with money, my mother had to watch every penny, every dollar, and they had to have some good luck in order to keep going in the you know in a positive direction. Uh, when you have some money, you can have a little bit of bad luck, or you can have some missteps. You can overspend. You can make mistakes and make up for them down the road. Um, so if we have school districts that are broke, if they can't give teacher raises, if classroom sizes are going up, and all these things are happening, this is where the parents should be asking the question: How efficiently are you spending our money? What are you paying for these curriculums? What are they? A, are the curriculums necessary? B, what do they cost? What does it cost to buy the curriculum if there's a cost involved? What does it cost to train the teachers? All these are valid questions. And the legislative group in the, oh, I should say the Freedom Caucus and the legislature are going to ask a lot of these questions before they go along. Now, there are going to be a lot of people that say you're playing politics with kids. But one of the points that, that, um, Jake Hoffman brings up is he says, listen, we're failing. This whole system is failing. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to talk about how we change it without just giving a rubber stamp once again. So we're going to reach out to the Freedom Caucus. We're going to ask them about this because I think it's an important topic that we need to continue to talk about so that we know what uh, that our education system in Arizona is the best that it can be. In a moment, did President Biden threaten to veto a bill for more oil and gas drilling here in the U.S.? We'll talk about that next. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. We've been talking a lot about the economy, and um, we know that fuel prices are going up. Fuel oil is very expensive. <clears throat> we know that it is also going up around the world because China is beginning to open up. In, demand is increasing. So what is going to have to happen in order for us to get some relief? Now, I've uh, complained about this, and I guess complained is the right thing, but I have commented for sure that I believe that the number one issue for this administration is climate change. And I think that a, you know a lot of the increase we saw in fuel prices, our lack of ability to be energy independent, was directly related to the fact that this president is a, as an opponent, as an enemy of fossil fuel. He said it when he was running for president. He said it when he became president-elect. He's done it as president. And here is a representative, Steve Scalise, um, said the president actually issued a veto threat on this bill. A veto threat should be a rare exercise that you reserve for policy that might hurt the country. Now, this is talking about H.R. 21, the Strategic Petroleum Response Act. Let's read why the president's issued veto threat. In his veto threat, he said the administration's use of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has been essential to protecting our energy security and to lowering gas prices for America. Well, talking about uh, a boost in uh, oil and gas drilling would, A, give America more independence when it comes to oil. It would put more oil and gas on the markets and lower the price naturally and not uh, – not, um, Artificially, like you would with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Here's another thing that confuses me about the Biden administration. We understand that they're pushed toward um, what they call um, renewable energy, but in EVs, electric vehicles, the Biden administration – um, the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, signed Public Land Order 7917, withdrawing over 225,000 acres in the Superior National Forest from leasing to mining or geothermic, oh, geothermal companies through 2043. The administration has canceled multiple mining projects over the past two years while prioritizing a green energy transition, which requires mining of critical minerals and metals. Um, this is where there is some confusion. And then I, I want to add it in a local story to this topic. The Phoenix City Council has voted to spend $230 million on low and no emission buses. I just went on a rant, I believe it was yesterday, about um, public transportation in the Phoenix area, in the Valley. I am a big believer in public transportation. I like public transportation. I spent some a bunch of time in New York City. Their subway system is stellar. Um, I have spent some time in Washington, D.C. The Washington, D.C. Metro is a really good way to get around. Um, but what we've done in public transportation in the Valley is really not that great. Um, you know, the way the, the buses are traveling, uh, there are not enough bus pullouts, which means during rush hour traffic, you're tying up traffic by holding up one of the lanes of travel. You've got light rail that travels on the same streets with the buses, sometimes side by side. The light rail blocks traffic. It, it is just to me, it's a nightmare. It really is a nightmare. So now instead of um, lowering emissions by keeping traffic moving, you've got buses that will be stopped on the side of the road, but now there will be zero emission buses, but the cars behind you aren't zero emission. So um, the mayor said, we are good on clean tech as a city council. Phoenix has more than 500 buses that regularly travel 48 routes, while the current buses use alternative fuels are considered cleaner than traditional gasoline. 
So the vote will allow the city to buy about 40 electric and hybrid buses per year over the next five years. The city will evaluate the initial fleet's operability and also – and so long as they meet the city's needs, purchase more to phase out Phoenix's existing 335 compressed natural gas buses. So, you know, again, I'm not against technology. I like the advancements in technology. I just wonder if this is the best spending of money. And when you look at what's happening with EVs, when you look at how things are moving in this direction, and we're hearing now about mining being blocked, where do we get those minerals from? We are actually turning the power over now. First of all, we know that the Saudis... And the UAE, OPEC, uh, these nations control the oil industry. When we were energy independent, whether you liked it or not, the oil was being produced in this world to fuel the world, whether you like it or not. Diesel fuel, gasoline, heating oil, um, and all the other petroleum products that are out there that aren't necessarily directed in transportation but are out there being used. And we were energy independent in the U.S., and for four solid years, we paid less than $3 per gallon for gasoline. That is an historically – Amazingly low number um, when you factor in for inflation and everything else. And so not being energy independent, we've learned as a national security issue. The president, this president, President Biden, has gone to the UAE. He's gone directly to the Saudis. He has gone to the Iranians, a sworn enemy of the U.S. Recent stories talking about the uh, Iranian um, warships creeping closer and closer to American interests. Uh, you also have Venezuela, a, a very oppressive, punishing country to its people. There's a reason why Venezuelans are fleeing that country and trying to get to the U.S. Many of the migrants uh, you know, the migrant activists are saying that the latest um, thing that the president has done to stop people from coming from Venezuela is a human rights violation because of the oppressive treatment by that government. We're dealing with the Venezuelans on production of, of, uh, of fossil fuels or of oil. And yet here we are defeating the possibility of, of doing more of it here. And it would drive down the prices. All of these obscene profits from the oil companies and all of this other stuff that we keep hearing about, if we had more more oil on the market, the price would go down and so would the profits. The cost to you and to I at the pump, whether it's diesel or gasoline, would go down. Heating oil where it's used around the country, it could go down as well. And instead of fostering that, what we are doing is continuing the old punish them attitude, allowing other nations to pump the oil that's needed and Instead of the U.S., and it's also a national security risk. I just don't agree with it. I can't believe we're still doing it. So we're going to talk. I just mentioned for a briefly, I just mentioned immigration. Uh, migrant activists are very happy. They are welcoming our governor's new plan on busing and flying of migrants. So an update on that and another border update is coming your way in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, very weird story. I'm going to get to this. I am. We are going to talk border here in just a moment, but I want to take just a pause. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Julie, have you seen this story? Um, you remember uh, Jay Leno, the former Tonight Show host. Jay Leno was injured. He had a he, on fire with you know he's a big car guy, and he got injured by a car fire. Right, recovered from it. Um, just last week, 
This is a quote from Jay Leno going back to the 17th of January, so a week ago. Just last week, I got knocked off my motorcycle, so I have a broken collarbone, two broken ribs. I have also have two cracked kneecaps. He was driving through a parking lot on his 1940 Indian motorcycle. He cut through a parking lot, and somebody had put a, a line, a, a tied up a line across the parking lot, and they'd put flags on it. And he drove right in, and it clotheslined him off his motorcycle, and he broke multiple bones. Oh. That's horrible. 72 years old. And crashed his motorcycle after they recovered from the burns. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. So uh, he said, I turned down a side street, cut through a parking lot, and unbeknownst to me, some guy had a wire strung across the parking lot, but no flag hanging from it. So, you know, I didn't see it until it was too late. I just clotheslined me, and boom, it knocked me off my bike. I have chills. Yeah, so poor Jay Leno. That's just a tie. He's alive, but this is a story I just saw. That's incredible. Um, I want to get to this border story. I want to talk a little bit about this because as we are seeing, and I'm not, it doesn't anger me. It is what it is. Elections have consequences. Elections have privileges. The governor of Arizona has every right to go in a direction she believes is right for the people of Arizona. That's what she was elected for. I happen to support most of the moves by the Ducey administration, and I have a feeling I'm not going to support many of the moves by this governor in some situations. This one is one we're seeing an opposite view here. And I'm not I'm not a fan, but it is what it is. The governor of Arizona is going to continue bussing and flying people. But she says she's doing it in more of a humane way when it comes to asylum seekers and people coming across the border illegally. She is flying them to the destination of their choice. So uh, a chorus of bustling conversations spilled from the clutter of white tents. So it's such a great way to start this story. Um, Inside one of the tents, employees work diligently with a couple of dozen migrants to help them book flights and buses to their final destination. Others formed lines outside of one of the idling buses that would soon take them to Phoenix where they could connect to their final destination in the country. So um, uh, Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs decided last week to continue the expanded program of transporting migrants from border area communities to the interior of the United States. There is a complaint that has come out. Interesting how New York has switched a little bit. New York Republicans have complained that the Biden administration and their secret flights are overwhelming cities like New York and places like New York and others where these flights are just showing up. Um, The political nonsense of all of this is what makes me laugh. When Governor Ducey and when Governor Abbott did this, they were abusing people and using people for politics, and it wasn't the right thing to do. The Biden administration has been doing the exact same thing forever. I have been chronicling for you for a very long time that there have been buses six days a week. Every week showing up at the station, the SkyTrain station at 44th Street in Washington that goes into the airport. Most of you know that SkyTrain starts outside of the airport at 44th and Washington. It goes in past the East Economy lot and then into all of the terminals. They drop a busload of people, at least one busload of people off every single day. Well, I should say six days a week, every day except Sunday. People are, bu- are, are, are bussed in. They get on the light rail. They go – well, actually, it's the SkyTrain. And they go into the airport where they have money either that's been given to them or they brought themselves. They purchase tickets. They wait in the airport to get to wherever their final destination is. This has been going on for a very long time. 
So why are we not concerned as citizens? My concern about this program, I'm not a heartless person. I truly am not. I understand the plight of people. I don't want to see people abused. I don't want to see people sleep in the cold. I don't want to see people go hungry. I don't care who you are. But what I don't want to do is incentivize people to come here either. When word got out that Title 42 was was expiring, we were warned by countries south of Mexico that huge caravans of people were making their way through Mexico to assemble themselves at the U.S. border so that when Title 42 expired, they could cross. Word had gotten to those caravans of people that that was a good time to make your way to the U.S. When word got to the four nations, when the Biden administration just changed its policy and said, when these four nations, if you show up at our doorstep, you will be turned around and you will be sent back. They are crediting that policy change with uh, the slowdown in people coming to this country. Well, when word got out to them that it was not going to be advantageous for them to come, they stopped coming. Along those same lines, when word gets out to people that are traveling north, that are coming through Mexico, when word gets out that Arizona is bussing you or flying you for free to your final destination, where do you think the migrants are going to want to enter this country? Obviously, it's going to be Arizona. That's my concern. Again, I can disagree with the plans of this governor. I'm not demonizing her. I've had multiple conversations with her in interviews where she's been very nice to talk with. This is not about demonization. It's about a disagreement in policy. It's about the unintended consequences of a policy. Incentivizing this behavior increases that behavior. And I think that what we're doing here is we're setting ourselves up to increase the number of people that come to our door. And I don't think it's the right direction for us to go. The border issue continues to be critical. And we have to get a handle on it as a nation. Border security is national security, period. That's how it goes. And so I I just think that we need to be focused on that. And I'm not sure that a program like this that tells people that are here, we're line up, tell us where you want to go. We're going to get you a plane ticket or we're going to get you a bus ticket or we're going to charter a plane or we're going to charter buses and we're going to take you where you want to go. I don't know how that doesn't incentivize people instead of coming in through Texas or Southern California. Why wouldn't you come in through Arizona? Just just a, a legitimate question. What we're going to do coming up just after 10 o'clock, what are Valley economists saying about the Phoenix housing market? Told you a national story yesterday that says we are one of four housing markets that they believe are going to see a big downturn. Do Valley economists agree with that? And if they disagree, why do they disagree? We'll talk about it next.